Welcome to episode 59 of the Winning Six podcast, official podcast of BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host, Sites Editor-in-Chief, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual, we have the one, the only, Jordan Tresky. He's lacking in sound effects when it's not a bonus podcast. I left a little breathing space there for him and nothing. But Jordan is here with us, I can assure you of that. Yes. There you go. We have ran through basically point guards, shooting guards, small forwards, power forwards, and centers. Conveniently, all five positions. Uh, players the books could target at each in the draft, free agency, or via trade this summer. Now we are officially we're three podcasts away from the NBA draft. I'm sure that's how most of you equate time. Um, so we're on the home stretch, only three podcasts away. So we're going to look at something a little bit different. It won't be maybe tied in quite as exclusively as the last five weeks have been. But we're basically going to try and make our minds up about what the books should do with their draft picks. We're going to start off this week feel safe in saying we're going to start off with the idea that will be least popular with both Jordan and I. And we're going to try and find scenarios where the books might trade up. We'll decide whether or not it would be a good idea. And just sort of get a handle on it. It's the thinking behind this is just these whispers that the books are one of one of the teams most willing to trade their picks. First, we had it from Chad Ford of ESPN. Then a few days later, Sean Devaney of Sporting News followed up with something similar. So if the books are going to trade their pick, are they trading up or are they trading down? What wonders lie ahead for us on draft night? <laughs> Let's start out with... Trading up with the 10th overall pick of this year's NBA draft. Let's say, Jordan, hypothetically, the books want to get right up towards the top of this draft. One or two is really the top of this draft because then we have a drop off. So say if they wanted one or two. Who do they give? What's the cutoff point of who they shouldn't give? Do you give any of the big three? I know without any of the big three, and probably without multiple of them, you wouldn't get one or two. But 
what would you consider giving up if for example they felt very strongly that brandon ingram was the guy that ben simmons was the guy would you get involved in any of that or is it just not going to be worth the books while in any shape or form i believe it's the latter uh i think i would not entertain trading any uh either of Milton, Giannis, Jabari, um, whatsoever. Stamp it down, lock it in, whatever. Um, uh, I, and then after that, I don't think any bundle, any say as the 10th, bundled with Monroe, and I, I mean, it just, after that, like, it just it kind of falls off and you kind of, just lose momentum in any trade discussion in my mind because they don't really have attractive assets to give up outside of Monroe. I mean, I, I think Henson, Henson's a kind of a weird case because I think he is, like we have talked about before with like a guy like Bayless or a guy like Coley, I think he's more valuable to the Bucks than to other teams because they need like a shot blocker. They need a more defensive minded center. And again, he's when he is on the best of on or what he can offer. He's not a bad fit with what the Bucks have. Uh, it's just more of the other. Yeah, he just doesn't play. Yeah, he just doesn't play, and everybody hates when he smiles after he gets fouled and all that stuff. So uh, <laughs> it's that's that's the other ball of wax. But other than that, I mean, they just don't have real pieces to move to get to that place. You know what I mean? If for some reason, and it's not going to be the case, but if for some reason the Sixers just weren't, they didn't feel comfortable. They didn't feel that Brandon Ingram or Ben Simmons were as good as they're built to be. And with this, we want to be better sooner rather than later. They'd make a move to mortgage things a little bit. Fast forward. On the other side, if the books felt, you know what, Brandon Ingram, he's ready to come in right now. He's probably going to be better than Chris Middleton within a couple of years. So me saying this is fact. This is if the books think of this. Does a deal like, say, Middleton, Monroe, and 10 for one and... We'll say Robert Covington, maybe, to get a good player back. I mean, I don't I don't like it. I'm very much in Middleton's camp. But I can see that if they really wanted to... I think, first of all, I think that's an offer that gets shot down by the Sixers. But if they wanted to try it, I could see justification if they felt Ingram was going to be really special. Simmons is trickier because with Giannis there, it could be a redundant fit. But with Ingram in particular, if they felt, wow, his ceiling is just so high that we can, we can make the team into something truly unstoppable with him there. I don't know. I think there's a little something there. Mm. remember this is the trading up podcast this isn't necessarily things i want but 
Yeah. In the interest of if the Bucks are so curious in terms of trading their pick, <laughs> we need to explore possibilities. If they're really swing for defenses, I think that's I, about that's about yeah. as good as it gets if they go and make a dramatic move for the Bucks. Mm. That oh man, the thought of that just. I, we're talking I mean, about a, we're talking about a number one overall pick, though. I mean, if you get a number oh, one true. overall pick for ten, I know this is a lot. These these are, are like very talented, or their value to the books might be varying at the moment. But ten Middleton and Monroe—that's quite a haul. It is. But for for one, and as I said, if you could persuade them to give you like a Robert Covington or. A Jeremy Grant, some sort of cheap, young, valuable piece as well. It gets a little interesting. Yeah, yeah, in, the, in a in a way. What, what if? What if you could persuade <laughs> them to? I don't know. You'd probably have to figure out some other way. You might have to get another team involved, and this is where the book's lack of assets gets troubling. But if you could swing a deal where you sent something else of value to the Sixers, or they received something else that was, I suppose, maybe maybe a future pick, and you got Nerlens Noel back as well. The books, the books really don't have the assets to get anything like that. No. I mean, especially if. What after the last week and of rumors and tidbits, as I like to call it, um, from what we've heard of Noel discussions, I doubt. Yeah, I just don't. The price isn't. The price is definitely not high on Noel. They want. They want to move him. If they've even entertained that discussion with the Hawks, which seemingly involved. Teague, and they were going to send one of Covington or Stauskas, which I'm gonna I'm gonna guess is probably, I think I think a Hawks first to be involved. So I'd say it could be Teague and twenty one this year for Covington and Noel, which would be a very Hawks deal. They don't care for draft picks, particularly around that range. So whatever that is, what it is that's not a high price though. No. So they do want to move them. It's it's maybe in some ways a pity that the books don't have some mid-level. Yeah, some, <laughs> some players who are not terrible tied in that they'd be willing to move and they'd sort of go, okay, well, let's... We know what the challenges would be in terms of extending them. And we don't have all of that to do with a year from now. But let's just see and take a look and... Maybe this is something that just could be worth our while trying to figure out. They don't have those assets. But I still haven't got an answer to your question. To my question, I suppose. Like, you wouldn't involve Middleton in a deal for the first overall pick? No. You don't think Brandon Ingram will be a better player than Chris Middleton? I know there's no guarantee. I know there's... And I, and I understand the timeline side of that as well, but 
it's not really about like what I value or how do I word this? It's not really how, how I feel about Ingram because I really do like Ingram a lot or Simmons or anything like that. I just think, as I've said in the past, and maybe it isn't exaggerated by some of the Bucks' flaws, I don't think you can get a better complimentary player that I feel like is more than just a complimentary player in Middleton. I just feel like for what he is, and he's still – I know we kind of lose – he's been on the team for, what, four – three years now, going to be fourth season next year. He's still very young. Like, he he can still get a lot better. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just – it isn't it, – you would think about it, obviously, because it's his first overall pick. I, I think the books would do more than think about it. I really do. I, I agree with uh, you. Middleton is – he is my favorite player on the books. It's not even oh. close. I love Giannis, but Middleton is my favorite. I still just think that's a... There's all sorts of interesting things, and it goes beyond just, I suppose, the... It goes beyond face value in these discussions, where we talk about all the time the challenges the books have with even the cap. And Middleton is a big positive in that sense at the moment. He's tied into his deal. But at the same time, if they could bring someone like Ingram in now, he's tied into a rookie deal for four years, and he might maybe need the ball more, but honestly, Ingram and Middleton, their skill sets, their core skill sets, aren't a million miles apart. They will be able to do a lot of the same things. That's true. Much higher ceiling probably for Ingram, but that all remains to be seen. But say that type of player, part of the appeal for, for me, if they could figure out a deal, once again, they probably don't have the assets, but this is the podcast where we explore things that aren't going to happen. <laughs> In that sense, Ingram, they trade for him, they have him for his rookie deal. His rookie deal is going to expire basically when Middleton is next up on the free agent market. So let's say Middleton kicks on, continues to be as good as he is, and maybe even better over the next few years. The cap will, even if it's stabilized, it's probably at that point going to be on the verge of rising again. Yeah. Then you're going to have Middleton's max, which based on the time he's been in the year, even if you're not paying him the max, if he doesn't become a max level player, he's going to be looking at a lot of money where if Ingram was everything you wanted to be, if Ingram was the best player in the league, still five years from now, his max is going to be coming off a rookie scale. I, I think it, it depends. That's, that's getting into really nitty gritty and that's projecting stuff and sort of ignoring talent, which is dangerous. But because the books do have some good pieces already, I feel there's sort of an interesting angle to that side of things too. It's great that they have Middleton tied in, but if it's four years before they really sort of hit their stride, let's say everything clicks and four years from now the books make the finals, they come up just short, which would be very books, let's be honest. But 
they make the finals, <laughs> they come up just short, and then they face a summer where Chris Middleton is a free agent. What do they do then? How do they do it? It's obviously they, it's easy. You get Marlon Wayans to film a video and he resigns. It's that simple. Is Marlon Wayans paying the tax. Yeah. Okay, Marlon Wayans. <laughs> if Marlon Wayans is footing the bill, then all is good. Yeah, promise all. Podcast over. Let's let's move on. <laughs> it's a tricky one. I don't not. I don't want to get wrapped up in what will happen four years down the line because it's that's a bit of a nonsense. But just, I feel like they're somewhere in the back of the mind. All of those thoughts have to be there with their decisions at the moment that's sort of the double-edged sword of having really good young talent where they might just reach a level where you are one of the best if not the best teams in the league on the other hand because they're bunched so close together their extensions they're everything's going to come up the whole way along basically if you're giving these guys max contracts you're gonna have this regular pattern where like look at the moment we have Middleton Middleton extended last year we could have Giannis this year Jabari next year Tyler Edis J.O.B. Ricardo Williams I mean the list just goes on and on yeah you know what I'm saying it gets tricky yeah (laughs) yeah Sorry, that sounded very sarcastic. I didn't mean. No, it was it was very sarcastic, but that's okay. <laughs> we're, we're all getting a sense of Jordan's disdain for any ideas that the books trade up quite in this way. <laughs> I don't think it's possible because I think both the Sixers and the Lakers would say no. I don't think they're going to turn down the chance to draft either Ingram or Simmons unless they get met with a. An offer that gives them a bona fide superstar now. And as much as we love Middleton, he's not that guy. Greg Monroe is certainly not that guy. Anyone that get a 10, not that guy. So one and two seem to be out for the books, unless they do something really stupid. So please don't do that, books. Mm. From there on in, it gets a little different. Things are very open. Is there anyone who's jumping out to you that you feel it's worth Milwaukee's while to enter into discussions to trade up? From three to ten, is there a prospect that stands out as, well, that guy is just, they are going to be that good that the book should really just see, is there any chance of them drafting that player? I would say no. I think there are some players I like. There are some players I'm not a fan of. Obviously, everything is subjective. But again, I just think for the potential of trading up, say if it's the pick and including a guy, obviously the biggest trade candidate would be Monroe. I just think you could do a lot better and find someone that could fit better than some the guys that we are seeing float around that range. 
Um, yeah, I don't think I would think about anybody really that would or that would just blow me away to try to spark some sort of deal. Um, I just I uh, I, I can't. Really. Okay, so you wouldn't, but that likely means the books would. So <laughs> let's let's forget about what you or I would do then for a second. So let's bring it back to specifics. And I think probably the most likely guy uh, they would have need to draft up for, and they might find themselves in some position where they're thinking that player is worth drafting up for is Chris Dunn. Because they need a point guard. I'm not saying he's a great fit, but they need a point guard. And if John Hammond, Jason Kidd, Justin Zanuck, and Marlon Williams, yeah, all the key books decision makers felt that he was just so good that he needed to be the point guard, they have a hole in the roster in that spot, really. So I could understand why they'd investigate that one. I'd say realistically, Dunn probably goes anywhere from Boston at three, Minnesota at five, New Orleans, New Orleans at six, Sacramento at eight. I think they're probably the potential landing spots for him. Maybe Phoenix, maybe. They really, I don't think they're so keen on Brandon Knight anymore, which is kind of amusing. So if they still, if they still like this idea of playing two point guards in the backcourt or maybe having Bledsoe a little bit more off ball, maybe they do that. No, I don't think it's wise, but that's never stopped Phoenix before. Really, though, we're looking three, five, six, and eight. So, if the books were confident that he was the point guard, you obviously trade up. You could you couldn't blame them for trading up if they felt this is our long term point guard. He's the missing piece. Doesn't make it right, but you'd go okay. They feel that's the guy. That's what they're doing. Is there any way the books could get up as high as three? Oh, maybe. Um, oh, may, oh, man. I, I think it's one of the easier ones because I just am unsure that the Celtics, I think they really were hoping that they would have looked out with that. Brooklyn pick yeah. and got one of the top two. Yeah. And I don't know if you said to them, like, here's Greg Monroe, here's 10th overall, here's whatever, maybe 36 and 38, and then they could just have all of the picks. Uh, maybe a future first, whatever. They might say, look, we don't like having the third overall pick this year. We'd rather have another first round next year. And that could be something outside the top two that we see. There could be teams prepared to take a future first instead of this year's, uh, particularly for teams who may end up in the lottery again next year. I think there's a possibility there. I'm just not sure 
if anyone will scream out at the Celtics enough to say they're going to change the franchise around that they're completely locked into the pick. Someone like Minnesota might be harder because they don't need a whole lot and they can probably find someone who really nicely complements what they have already there. But the Celtics are this rare and sort of weird situation where they're already good, but they don't really have any guys who you'd lock in in the long term and say, well, they're definitely around. I mean, if someone told you three years from now, none of the players currently on the Celtics are there, you couldn't say you couldn't say it's completely shocking. There's not a whole lot that doesn't make sense. You'd think, okay, someone like Marcus Smart, maybe. Crowder. Yeah, but I guess the end of three years would be the end of his contract. So push on to that. What are you? I think it's five. Uh, maybe you're right. There could be an option there, but I want to say it was like five years, thirty-five million. I I just think they're sort of they're still reaching for something and Danny Ainge has done the textbook job at rebuilding and tooling everything to build the next contender and so far none of the pieces have really fallen his way. And it's to Boston's credit that they've still built a good team. But they'd probably be willing to look at something, maybe explore something else, say, okay, we need to think towards this direction or that direction. Plus they do, I, I should add, they do have a kind of an interesting summer ahead next year because both believe Isaiah Thomas will be up for free agency and Marcus Smart will technically be eligible for an extension, or and Avery Bradley will be up for free agency too. So the backcourt could be, uh, I, I don't know, that, that could really change it depending on who moves or goes or what they would like to do. Plus, if they're not sure about anyone in the top part of the draft, a deal like that, so they also have 16 and 23. So if they can make a deal out and they still have 10, 16, and 23, you can probably bundle up two of them to get another top 10 pick. Yeah. You could probably move up. You could end up going, okay, yeah, we'll trade three away and trade 10 and 23 and get like, you definitely get nine off Toronto probably. Maybe you could get eight from the Kings even. Depends who, depends who teams want. But in that sort of scenario, they could go, okay, and say decide to take take that deal and they take Greg Monroe from the books and then they could still draft someone like Marquise Chris who rumors sort of have been going around that they may even like him enough to take him a tree anyway. I don't know if he's still there. He was three recently on a draft express mock draft. It's so fluid in that range that I think options like that would have to be considered and maybe are in play, and particularly with Boston. What about 
Buddy Hield. Buddy Hield was someone we talked about quite a while back, like probably everyone else, around the time of the tournament where he was just setting college basketball on fire. We probably moved away from this a little with around the time of exit interviews and the assertions that they still wanted a point guard to guard opposing point guards and maybe we stepped back off the idea of a wing, an extra wing and Yanis being a, a sort of true point. Is there any place for someone like Buddy Heald? He, he definitely adds something to the books, but is it worth our while? Uh, I would I would probably say no. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like he's kind of – I ultimately think he's going to be a two. I mean, he is a shooting guard now, but he was more of a distributor creator for Oklahoma. Um but in the NBA, I just think that's going to be his spot. I don't know if he could do the same. I, I doubt he could do the same things that he did uh, for Oklahoma the last year beyond um, in the NBA. I know. Did you see his um, his Draft Express workout video? Mm, I don't think so. It's it's a sight to behold. <laughs> Really, as fans, as fans of workout videos, we are proven judges of how workout videos translate to NBA play. Yes, see the 2015-16 seasons of Michael Carter Williams and Johnny O'Brien, and I can say this Buddy Hill workout is pretty special. If you have any doubts in your minds over how good Buddy Hield is, go and watch it, and then you'll be like, wow. It's just like watching MCW through the fence over again. <laughs> John Henson taking three-pointers. That I, I mean, the best. John Henson's half-court hook shot. I actually think it was a half-court hook shot. And that was special, but Johnny O'Brien's workout is still the best I've ever seen. That video from last summer. The books need that player so bad. Yes. I might I might have to go and watch that again soon. Shed a tear. No, I think it might be my happy place. Well yeah, tear is joy. Yeah. Yeah. There's not really anyone else I'm feeling in the top ten. I mean I really like Marquis Chris. I like Marquis Chris a lot. Without trading Jabari, it doesn't make sense. No. So unless one of these teams I don't know, unless like and I probably still wouldn't do it, but if the Suns wanted to do like Four and Bledsoe for Jabari. I'm 
not saying they do, but something like that, okay? Yeah. They're not known, no team is, they're not even a four, and it would take, it would take 10, it would probably Junior take Village. more than that. But in that sort of scenario, again, once, once again, just very hypothetical, then you go, okay, well, we're getting a point guard, a really sort of high quality proven point guard, that makes sense. And then we're willing to do that because we can get Marquis Chris that spot. I don't know if it would ultimately prove to be the right move, but it's one of very few sort of deals I could get that would make a little bit of sense. I like Chris enough that if there was a really nice return on a deal that involved him coming and that's you'd you'd think about it. But with that being incredibly unlikely, drafting Marquis Chris when Jabari Parker's on the roster doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Likewise, Dragon Bender. I mean, what did the books do with Dragon Bender? Play him at center. I think that's that would be the Dragon best. Center. Yeah. Maybe we've just stumbled across a great idea there. Um, but the books really don't have another use unless they could get him to really bulk up. I mean, he's tall enough. They'd have to feel he was capable of doing that for him to make sense. I don't think anyone is talking about Dragon Bender playing center. Jalen Brown, no. Simple as that, no. Jamal Murray, once the favorite of many Bucks fans. Now, uh, a sad afterthought. Yeah. Yeah, that, that fire is quickly faded. The idea of, I guess... A combo guard is appealing, but he just likes the ball a little bit too much. And when he has it in his hands, I'm not sure how often he's going to pass it. He's going to shoot it. Yeah. Shoot's going to shoot. The <laughs> <sighs> hashtag analysis. That was awful on my part. <laughs> Jordan just fell right into the cliche there. Yeah. What then if Jakob Jakob Pertl is the books? He's the books guy. They really want him. They feel he is the center. And word comes true that for whatever reason he's going early. There's not a lot of fits that I see for that, but we'll say that the Kings are going to draft them at eight because maybe, maybe, oh maybe, God. maybe the Kings have all. Well, maybe the Kings have already been involved in a deal to get Tree off the Celtics and Boogie Cousins plays in Boston there or something. Well, that's true. But let's say the Kings suddenly have an opening at center. A dearth. And they go, okay, we're going to draft Jakob Poodle. And the books really want them. Do they move up? Is would you consider you're not likely gonna be moving up too far for someone like I, th- I don't think so. I don't there used to be mocks where you'd see Pertle as high as five, six. Yeah, five and six. The only team outside of the 
top two, even Sixers actually wouldn't make sense. That make some sense to have them, and some is a, I, I might exaggerate a little bit. Boston, New Nor- Orleans. I think I think he makes sense in Boston, but they're never going to take him a tree. Yeah, you're right with the Pelicans. Just but that because. also means, <laughs> what are they going to do with Ashton? They, yeah, like they, they, they're looking at. I mean, ultimately, they're going to have no option but to someday buy out Omar Sheik. Yeah. Uh, is <sighs> a cheap contract, so I wouldn't worry too much about that one. Um, they have more pressing needs than that, though, I feel. Yes. So, it's unlikely, but let's, let's go to example. So, if it's Sacramento at 8 or Toronto at 9, whatever it is, one of those teams decide... Word gets out that they're looking at Perkle as their guy. Do the books then step in and say, make that move up? And what do, what do you give to move up those couple of spots? Ooh. I mean, it could be a case if they're one of those teams sort of like them or going to draft them, but they're not. They're not so set in stone. They're not completely sold on them. Maybe you can just go like, okay, we'll give you 38 or 36 just to just to sort of sit out for two picks and then take the next guy on your big board. I think you'd have to include Mike Carter-Williams, especially for Sacramento, not much for... Toronto, but Sacramento. Man. I mean, I think that idea is probably going to encourage certain books fans to trade up regardless of whether they need yeah. it or not. It'd be like, if they're going to take Putin, well, if taking him at eight gets rid of Michael Carter-Williams, some books fans might be all for that. Not naming names. <laughs> Hashtag not naming names. Um, triple N. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess any of Inglis, J-O-B, I mean, it just gets... I mean, Inglis or J-O-B can't move you up in the top ten, surely. Oh no, I don't, I disagree, or I completely agree. I think it moves you down, if anything, way down. <laughs> I mean, if you offer the team, we'll give you ten in English to pick eight. <laughs> even, even the Kings will be like, never call us again. Yeah, our relationship is done. Yeah. Did you mean to say English? Alex English? Is that what he said? No. I did not. Uh, no, I no, I was saying in the scenario. But they'd be, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I was going to say they'd be less likely to hang up if it was Alex English, even in this present day. I haven't had a go at Damien English in a while, sort of. It felt good. It felt like all times. It's like a punching bag. <laughs> 
taking names out of this, is there anyone you feel likely that the books are going to be interested or feel they have a realistic chance of drafting that's worth moving up for? If they heard he was going to go a spot before them. I think Poodle is an interesting one because I think, like we have said, I don't think a team really, he fits a specific team other than New Orleans or Boston you can make arguments for. But I think also those teams realize he's a trade ship. He can easily be moved. Um, and what can you get out of him? Or what can you get out of dangling him to other teams that would make them better? Unfortunately, the Bucks don't have many pieces that would make other teams better. Um, I, I just don't, yeah. I mean, Toronto could actually take him just to hold the Bucks ransom. Well, he did last year. The sequel. <laughs> Bad memories. Yeah. But really, if I mean, if you're picking a nine, you're the Raptors. They, I mean, they don't have glaring needs. Of course, they can improve their team by drafting certain guys. But I feel like, say, say if. Chris and Ellenson were both off the board. I don't necessarily think both would be, but if they were both off the board by then, I'm not sure if I was the Raptors or something would immediately scream out to me. And if you were hearing the books had their heart set on Poodle, nothing is jumping out to you. Why don't you just go, okay, this guy's all right. I mean, he could be, he could be our backup center with Biombo set to get paid 17 million elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And even better, we can probably just flip him for a nice haul straight away. You know what I mean? That's if if the books really want them, they go here. Take whatever these things are. You're getting the next pick, and you're gonna get some sort of bonus with it. That's something that always makes me a little uncomfortable when you have a team picking in front of you who don't really need to be t- picking in front of you. Yeah. It's like the Raptors are a little bit of a wild card here and it might not play into the book's hands. I'm scared. I, I didn't mean to settle <laughs> you quite that much, Jordan. It's it's almost as scary as a M. Night Shyamalan film. Oh. We're making those jokes again. I think the vibe that's very clearly coming across in Bodos is there's nothing to trade up for with 10 unless they're unless they're getting a player it's a bigger deal where they're getting maybe a proven player from outside of the draft in terms of draft there isn't a player worth moving up for that the cost isn't going to be too high to do so Mm mm-hmm The books also have picks 36 and 38, though. What do you think is the ceiling for bundling those two picks together? How high do you feel the books could move up? How high could those picks go? Um, 
I I guess I can see it. Uh, I don't know. I can see it. I don't think you're going to go in the first round. You're not going to make the first round with both together. I don't know. I don't think. Um... If I mean, if you're any team, like particularly good teams, who the pick is like uh, whatever to them. Remember, first round cap hold versus second yeah, round. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Mm, I guess, but like you said, all those teams, most of those teams, I should say, they first round, or I should say, end of first round. I think most most of those teams are used are playoff teams. They have continuity, or not continuity, but they have. Big pieces. They're just looking for ancillary pieces or complementary players at that point. They could be looking just for for players to stash, though, either. That is also true. And there are some pretty good international players who are projected to be in around where the books are going to pick. I think it teams like. He would say the Raptors again. The Raptors have 27, so if they pick at nine, they don't really need another first rounder. They might say, okay, we'll take two second rounders, some international guy who we can stash, and maybe take a swing at some other guy who we can send to Raptors 905 for the year. Honestly, I think. Those two picks together could potentially get you anywhere outside the top 20. You just have to find the right trade partner. Therein lies the rub. Er, no. Uh, what is the... Never mind. <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't save you, Jordan. Yeah. Jordan and words don't mix well. Not very. Hence why he is a podcaster slash writer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let's start to daydream and say 36 and 38 gets the books into the bottom third of the first round. Is there anyone in that sort of area of the draft who catches your eye or who might be worth Milwaukee's while making that move up to grab? Yes, there is. There's a few. I think there's a few options. Yes. All dependent on who they pick in the first round. Yeah. Um, again, with any big, I, I think, as we've talked about in the past weeks, it feels like there's a lot of poodle momentum. Hashtag poodle momentum. There we go. Uh, I do like other bigs. I, I do like Czech Diallo. Recently profiled. Yes, I do. I added his grimacing. Like Grimace. The McDonald's character. I don't know. What is the point of Czech Diallo? Well, that's... I was just about to say. I He's think... 
Uh, sorry to sorry to interrupt you. I think I have a problem with guys because it's the same problem I have with Scalabissier, except at least Scalabissier has like NBA level length. Um, so that's where I can get a little bit on board with it. But not a lot appeals to me about guys who just completely do nothing in college. I know, that, I, know for, I know for I know I know for Czech Dialo there was a lot going on. It wasn't just yeah. like he didn't perform. I know that, but still with that behind him, he didn't perform. Yeah. I don't and at at his size, he's six nine. I'm not sure. And he definitely needs I mean he's ultimately gonna get snatched up by a team that has a D League affiliate and they'll correct his mistakes if everything goes right i guess or give him the proper development um so that's where the bucks fit gets a little questionable with him um to think about their position point guards i do like a fair amount of the point guards in this in that range, I guess you could, the first one that comes to mind is like a guy like Tyler Ewis. I mean, Demetrius Jackson could be in the bottom. Uh, I really, I really don't think he's gonna fall that much. I mean, to fall to twenty-one isn't much of a fall from. It's not, but I think. Uh, I don't know. May I'm obviously higher on him than. I'm I'm not I'm not that low on him. I think his down shooting year has hurt him much more than it should. I, I think if anyone who looks at his whole body of work, it's impressive. There's plenty of reasons to say he is wor- worthy of going a little bit higher than maybe he's projected to in most cases at the moment. But I mean, I feel like he's going to be right around sort of the twenty mark. He could fall just a little below that. And if the books had drafted big man ten, well then they might go. Well, hold on a minute. We might be able to go and get our point guard here too. Eulis is probably he is the more likely to be there, but there's a chance Bo could be there. Um, in spite of what ESPN's Chad Ford says, I would also take a guess that Dejunte Murray will be there not having already been selected by the books at 10. <laughs> um, did we did we even talk about Dejunte Murray in our point guard thing? I'd be surprised if we didn't mention him at all, but if we did, we just very briefly skipped on. Well, we do that. Let's let's do that now, just because. Oh no! Here we go. <laughs> it seems like it just seems like good housekeeping. I mean, yeah, that's new, true. new name gets thrown out there, um, very out of the left field. So out of the left field that. According Outside to most, Ford field, Lions <laughs> reference. According to most, <laughs> uh, most other big boards and mock drafts, it would be something close to a twenty-five pick reach. Um, <laughs> you, you, you said to me you liked Murray before, didn't you? That was a thing I didn't imagine. You said you liked Murray, not for the books necessarily, but you like Dejunte Murray. Yes, 
I do like him. Maybe you explain that first, and you might win me over. Yeah. Um, there is something appealing about him. I think again, you can look at his size and length. Uh, as probably the biggest thing again, <laughs> that of, of course reflects on Mike Carter Williams. I was about to say, yeah. hmm, sounds familiar. Yeah, can he shoot, Jordan? No, not right now. He can't. <laughs> Does he like to have the ball himself, or he's a he's a really willing passer, isn't he? No, he's more. He likes to shoot. He does like to shoot. Can he defend? Um. If everything goes right, he could be a fine defender. A present, though? Uh, not so much. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, when you put it like that, <laughs> it gets, yeah, there's some flashbacks, the horror. Uh, I actually, I, I don't think, I did the... I did the profile on Dejounte Murray this week, and I don't think there is flashbacks because Michael Carter Williams was considerably better coming into the NBA than Dejounte yeah. Murray is. So I think that's a much scarier prospect. There is no danger, even if the even in this being the weak draft class that many people say it is, of Dejounte Murray coming in and being rookie of the year. Zero danger. You That's can go. You, you can go and play this match <laughs> to me a year from now when Jason Murray is rookie of the year as a book, probably, and I'll uh, take it all back. But I see zero chance of that happening for a team with no no shape. You're basically looking to define, or you've no playmaker even. If Giannis couldn't do what he's capable of doing. And the books just really were wide open in terms of needing a creator. Then I say, fine, I, I'll buy into his potential because he does have potential to be this really, I guess, dynamic or aggressive point guard. But in their current construction, he's everything the books don't need. Yeah. Even three or four years down the line, if he's what his best case scenario is that's not going to benefit the books you know what I mean if like I think probably the most extreme example is say if Russell Westbrook was a book they'd be so much better for having Russell Westbrook one of the best players in the league but his style probably still wouldn't get the best out of everyone else on the roster and it wouldn't gel enough to bring you to where you need to be. It wouldn't win you a championship. It mightn't even get you truly into contention. That's what Dejounte Murray feels like for me. If he pans out better than you could imagine, he's still not a fit for the books. Mm -hmm. And Chad Ford's right up not his only bizarre books write-up this week. We'll get to that later. Um, but his write-up for it was very strange, as in he noted the books needed shooters and a point guard. A point guard of this quality at 10 would be too hard to pass up, he said, as Wade Baldwin was still on the board, Demetrius Jackson, Tyler Eulis, all still on the board. And the books would go, yeah, 
Give us Dejounte Murray. Yeah. Scary talk. I don't. Gonna be brave again. I don't think we have to worry about that one. What's you say now? Yeah, it's the books. I mean, <laughs> I do have some players that I would trade up for if the books decided, say, Wade Bolden was their guy at ten, or if they just really liked a wing or a forward or whatever it was, and they added someone who's not necessarily a starter. Basically, if they don't add a center. If Ante Zizic is around in that bottom third, I'd say, let's do it. Let's take the chance. Let's trade it up. Um, I can't remember who exactly. I think it, I think it was David Pick. Um, sort of yes. international basketball expert, David Pick, who tweeted this week. Uh, if you're that generous. Um, Mr. Pick tweeted that Ante Zizic basically intends on coming over straight away and that's what he's told his agents he has no intention of spending the next few years in Europe he is not going to be a draft and stash guy if he's drafted he's coming over that's very much how he sees it we talked about this last week and I alluded to feeling like that could be a possibility with him now that we know it is for a fact, the idea to me of, say, the books getting a guy like Baldwin with the earlier pick and potentially moving up to a spot where they could get him, that really could be your point guard and center solved in one night on inexpensive contracts for the next few years. And I think that's a scenario as well where I'd embrace another rough year where you'd let those two guys go and start. You know what I mean? If if you yeah. felt if you felt you had two rookies that were good enough or that should fit the mold of what you're looking for well enough, I would be completely open to just let's go out here and play. Mm-hmm. Let's try this out, let's figure it out, let's get a year's experience under your belt and let's go. Yeah. That intrigues me a lot. Um, I mean, even if they do, if they go for like Poodle or I mean Deontay Davis or Scandabizier, whoever it is, if they go big, yeah, go big or go home. Well, go big, and then maybe Tyler Eulis isn't he's worth a try if you could move up to a spot to get him. You gotta balance it out. You gotta go super big, super small. Yeah. Yeah. Tip the scales. I mean, how good would those photos be at the press conference? If you got Jakob Putl and Tyler Eulis beside him, one holding like an extra large books adults jersey and Tyler Eulis in like a medium kids jersey. Wasn't there a picture, I could be wrong with this, but wasn't there a picture of like Muggsy Bogues or something, like a very small point guard and he was standing next to like a really, like not like a Sean Bradley, but like a big I want to say that's <laughs> Are you talking about Space Jam? Is that what? 
Bugsy Bogues. Oh, yeah, that could have been Sean Bradley. Yeah. Maybe it was Space Jam. Why are you thinking of Tweedy standing beside Muggsy Bogues? Was that? Oh, that could have been it, too. Oh, there you go. I don't know. Pretty sure it's Space Jam you're thinking of there. Yeah. There are some other nice potential role players in the late first 30 second rounds. Um, I think in that spot, DeAndre Bembry as a backup would be a decent option for books. High IQ, good defender, well documented. His shot isn't quite there, but he can do pretty much everything else really well. Um, Petr Cornelier would give really nice big man depth with add shooting good size you'd hope he'd become a, a good NBA defender in time definitely worth an option who knows his stock is varying a little bit it's probably not beyond the realms of possibility that he could have a little bit of a fall and be close to the books at 36 I think he goes before that anyway but he could be close to that on the night um Other than that, it's a little bit tricky. I know I quite like Bryce Johnson's scoring ability if he was like your backup power forward. I feel like you could be comfortable, you could be confident that you'll have some form of offensive punch off the bench. Really good rebounder as well. That's true. Outside of that, a little bit tricky. Malik Beasley, maybe. I don't know what that would say about the confidence levels in Rashad Vaughn, but that isn't really a good reason not to consider him because if he becomes better than Vaughn, which is possible, I mean, it wouldn't be the wouldn't be the end of the world if he was your guy as well. Um, I feel like. We couldn't go without mentioning, even though he has a chance of making it to the books in the second round. Chinano Onowaku. At this point, Jordan and I's mission is to just brainwash you. Yeah. Hope that you get really vocal about Onowaku. Tweet a lot. Uh, maybe Jason Kidd or Whoever runs jasonkid.com <laughs> across some tweets. Hashtag Onawaki. <laughs> there you go. I mean, if ever there's reason, George just giving it to you. Boom. Hashtag Onawaki. I love it. Prepare yourself for a lot of hashtag Onawaki tweets from me over the next three weeks. <laughs> Are you more comfortable with sticking at 36 and 38? There are good second round guys available. Or is it worth the while to make that move? I think, again, I, this could be a very fluid draft. I mean, you know, DeJounte Murray alone 
you know, whoever. <laughs> so I was just going to make a bad joke. Uh, I'm not married to 3638. I think if there's someone that you, the team feels like would be a good get that they are kind of thinking another team is interested or whatever, that kind of, you know, however that goes. I think moving up to the possibly the late first round, even early second round, I think that would be – I would be comfortable with that. Again, it just depends on the player that they really – or that they want to do that for. I, I think there's a lot of options that would fit for them. And like we have said a lot in the last month or months, they need depth. They just need depth. It does not <laughs> – they need bodies. They need – Worthwhile players that can produce when Jabari, Giannis, Milton, not all three, hopefully, but when one of them has to take a rest, they need backups very badly. So I think I, I would explore that possibility or moving up from those spots. But if they feel comfortable with whoever's going to be there, um, I, yeah, I think you'd you would just stay. I think the only problem for me is I like second round guys enough to have no problem in finding two who'll be available. I just don't feel like the books are going to bring three rookies onto the roster next year. So if that's the case, (laughs) 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 if that's the case though, I mean, why stick a 36 or a 38? Why not bundle them and try to get yourself in better position? If you're only going to take two rookies, well, take two first rounders. Makes sense. I I like enough guys. Well, maybe we'll hold off on names exactly. That will come in the in the make a pick podcast. Um, but there's definitely between international guys are players who've already proven themselves to be able to fit in a role or guys who should have a really high ceiling if everything pans out. There's potential there. There's lots of options. Moving on from the draft. I want to talk, or actually, more specifically, Jordan wants to talk. A little bit about, I suppose, a philosophical question for the books this summer. And it probably does tie into their decisions on draft night if they chose a point guard or a center or a 10. But Jordan asked me before the podcast, would I prefer a veteran point guard or a veteran center at this book roster? And the real answer is probably that it would be good for the books if they could have a veteran point guard and a veteran center. To me, I felt one one out a little bit over the other. First of all, before we go into maybe what each of us think, let's go through the benefits with the current roster makeup of each. If the books were to get a veteran point guard, 
What do you feel are the biggest pluses of that? Hmm. Um, I think it gives you, well, depends on the player, but hopefully it gives you another option, probably a second, secondary creator, whether that's off the bench or even just, you know, obviously with Point Giannis or Giannis being the ball handler, him working off the ball kind of things, that, that's more player specific, obviously. But um, I think it also gives you. I mean, let's. We kind of was thinking, even though you probably not a lot of people agree with the trade. Bringing a guy like Rivas Vasquez last summer felt like the right thing to do, in the or the idea of it felt like the right thing to do because he's already a veteran point guard. He's solid. I mean, it gets more in player specific, but he knows he's experienced. He knows. What to do? He could give you young guys like Mike Carter Williams, Tyler Otis, uh, or at the time Jorge Gutierrez, um, the right experience or know-how or IQ, I guess, kind of let that rub off and hopefully impact their game. Um, and I, I I wouldn't mention Bayless as that because I think he not really a point guard, but I guess he would also theoretically apply because he is a veteran. He does sometimes play point guard for, depending on who, you know, at the time or whatever. So I think in that sense, it would, that's, those are probably the biggest benefits of having a around the block uh, number one. It's really, I, I mean, you're looking at Giannis Insurance. If just it turned out that what we'd seen so far was this weird spell, I don't think it will, but just this weird spell that isn't repeatable for him if he wasn't able to handle the responsibility of being the team's, I guess, initiator on offense. If there was a lot of turnovers, if it they just it wasn't as productive as we saw in the last part of this season. Even if it was for like a 10 or 20 game spell, just to be able to settle things down, to ease the pressure on him, it would be nice to have that luxury. Mm-hmm. What about the center spot? What do you feel is the gain out of having a veteran center? Um, I, I think. You don't, we don't have to look that far off into the distance <laughs> for what a veteran center could do. I mean, Zaza was, not to get, again, player-specific, but Zaza himself being a smart defender, he certainly had limitations, but knowing where to be, communicating, all this stuff, like intangibles that we you know, thought would carry over, hopefully. Maybe that was wishful thinking kind of stuff, but... I think defensively, that's probably the biggest thing. Offensively, it's not too different. I mean, just knowing where to be, timing, everything like that, even setting screens. You know what I mean? Just knowing to bother guys. Maybe if it's calling for a foul or not calling for a foul, but questionable contact, whatever. I think veteran or getting a veteran big guy in that sense, I think, does – 
again, I just I think there's we've seen what it has done for the Bucks in the past, and you wouldn't say that was a prototypical big man for what the Bucks need now, but that it still applies even a year later. If anything, it's even more pressing because for the bulk of that time where Zaza was really vital to the books, Jabari Parker was injured. Yes. And now I feel the biggest, I guess the biggest thing that would make a veteran center a need is if you get a really experienced defender who was an excellent communicator that helped to anchor the whole team on defense, but most specifically, they could try to keep keep Jabari sort of where he needs to be. That's the player who's going to be working closest to him defensively, you've got to think. So that's just become so much more important. Obviously, as you said, on offense, a really good screen setter is something the books lacked last year, really, it felt like. Uh, that was maybe one of the more underrated parts of Zaza's influence on the books. They got a lot of credit for creative plays in their time in, in that season. And so much of that came from Zaza was really effective at setting screens. Mm-hmm. Between the two, I'll let you answer your own question first. Which do you lean to as having greater importance? Yeah, I would probably lean towards big man. Um, yeah, I think that I think it more or less. There's two reasons why. There's first, I think if you're a veteran point guard, uh, the Bucks are kind of a weird situation to come to because. They have a very, they have specific needs. They need a shooting, obviously, um, but they don't need a ball dominant point guard. Uh, starting wise, I guess. Um, sure, if that's if they could do that, and they can, if there's a way to, you know, kind of find that role when Giannis is off the floor, even Milton or Javari or whatever. Uh, I think that kind of impacts how I view veteran point guard to veteran big man. And second, they just need a very intelligent defender or down low. And that, I mean, you could be, it doesn't matter if you're a veteran or not. There, some things are just with guys no matter what. But chances are if you'll find a guy that's you know played for a while, he knows he doesn't screw up. He knows how to play his role. Uh, you know, the right way. I think that would go a long way for the Bucks defensively, especially with, you know, Jabari's, you know, questions or, you know, or concerns on that end. And even I'll throw in Giannis in there too, because he, we, we say that he could be a great defender, but he really only has the, you know, the, uh, 2014-15 season as evidence of that. This year he did show flashes, but it was again like the Bucks defense in general. It was very consistent. Um, so yeah, I would probably lean towards veteran big man over veteran Quaker. Yeah, I agree completely. I think 
the need is just it's far outweighed at center than it is a point guard because even as i mentioned earlier if as nice as it would be to have someone to take a little bit of the strain off Giannis, maybe in terms of playmaking capacity we saw last season the books actually kind of have that in chris middleton so they need a defensive point guard without a doubt i just feel like they need someone who can set the tone in the middle a whole lot more and mm-hmm. um, so to pick one of the two and particularly when we're factoring in not just the abilities or another player names but we're talking veterans and implied with that is experience i think it's much more important and it would probably have a much greater stabilizing impact if the veteran happened to be at center I mentioned earlier Chad Ford had more than one bizarre write-up about the books in recent times. Um, it's probably about 10 days ago now. ESPN released their future power rankings, their updated version. They do it, I want to say, twice yearly. Um, Chad Ford and Kevin Pelton get together. They rank all 30 franchises in terms of their draft picks their their market their coach their front office and their talent on the roster i believe the books were 12th and the last time they released these power rankings on this occasion though they didn't just drop they plummeted to 25th and which caused a lot of books fans to be hashtag mad online. I don't want to get into was it a stupid thing? Was it what's wrong with ESPN for ranking the books there? It's not really of interest for me. What I want to do is to try and get us to put on our impartial hats for a moment. <laughs> And ask doesn't make any real sense. And it's worth noting for anyone who hasn't seen or hasn't read the the details of what Chad Ford wrote and the reasoning behind why the books were 25, um, some of it was complete nonsense. It's the only way I can put it. Um, he spoke about Middleton regressing to the mean, which means he didn't watch Chris Middleton play this year. Um, there is talk about next season being really important for Jabari Parker to show where he's at returning from injury, which in terms of the injury point of view puzzled me as I thought this season was the more important one. There were some other things not to go down that road again, but maybe a little bit more logical with concerns over who's running the front office what way decisions will be made in the next few years we don't need to go there again we covered that in plenty of details in our bonus podcast last week even if not as low as 25 do you get the reasoning for those on the outside having a slightly more pessimistic view of what the book's future is at present 
Well, I mean, it's to be honest, I'm. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm the most confident Bucks fan by nature. Uh, I think there's. What you're saying is you would have ranked them thirty just because they're the. Best. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, completely. Um, but yeah, there's 58 past podcasts that you probably would figure out that I'm not a very confident human being, <laughs> and especially so with the the Bucks. Um, I don't really get it, honestly. I think for all the talk that we talked about, you know, depleted supporting cast or criticism of questions of Jason Kidd or whatever. I think there's I think there was plenty of evidence to show that what the Bucks have with Javari, Giannis, and Middleton alone. Um, that there is hopefully a brighter future ahead for the team. Um, so yeah, I thought it was kind of preposterous. Preposterous. I, I thought it was just kind of I, I don't know. I just it was just odd. It was like anything that Chad Ford has really kind of talked about in the last month and a half. I just kind of felt it was suspect. So. And who knows? I mean, they're 25 now, and they could easily be, you know, higher than that, depending on what Jed Ford does with his archives. So, yeah. shots fired. From, yeah, I, I, I had to go there. It's, it's Jordan. There's quite quite a few shots, um, uncharacteristic. <laughs> um, sort of sarcastic, barbed comments. People expect from me. Um. <laughs> I get it a little bit. I still think it's wrong, but I do. There's reasons why I could see it justified, but they weren't the ones that were mentioned in this case. So on that basis, the decision was made with the information they used to make the decision. It felt wrong. My big concern is away from the front office stuff, which is obviously a pretty big deal. But every time we talk about the cap situation and everyone else still likes to ignore this i think and just sort of float around and pretend this isn't something that needs to be taught about and figured out now but when you look at that time frame when extensions come up and what money is left if everyone pans out as you like and you've paid everyone it gets concerning that the books don't have any supporting cast in place already because it's not like they can just add that. If you are Miami, or if you have a colossal star, the biggest star in the game, like LeBron, you can maybe persuade guys to come and play for you for nothing. Or if you're the Spurs and you've got that sort of tradition and history where David West will pass up close to $10 million to come and play for your organization. All of this doesn't matter, but this is the books and this is Milwaukee. And we've just got to pay attention to the history on this one. There's nothing else to go off of that. And traditionally, both of those things haven't exactly played to the franchise's favor. So, Sorry. 
Come on, there's a bad joke waiting to get out there. Town. <laughs> I like that. That should be the new That was one. one of their slogans. I believe that was for maybe Bogus Rookie Year. That feels right. That, that, that's a good one, though. I like that. Yeah, that's a good one. They need to bring that back for the new arena. Oh, yeah. Hashtag light it up. Let's bring back that song. Let's bring back Street Life. I want I want people to realize we are missing a void. Adam has no idea what I'm talking about, but Street I'm Life. I'm completely lost. When I, was a, when I was a child going to Bucks games, they had a live band named Street Life that would play. They were set up in like where I'm trying to think of where it would be now. Probably where like press people would sit. It was like kind of like in the corner. Did they have? Was their name like Street Life with a Y? In I life? think it was with a Y. I think it is with a Y. That says everything I needed to know about Street Life. Yeah, for yeah. But and it was a great. It was. It was great to have a live band atmosphere to the Bucks because they were. Yeah. So Jordan wants street life back. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just completely <laughs> killed your momentum. I can't. I can't even remember where it was now. Um, basically, this is why I feel this summer is so important. The books have to get some role players and have them tied down for decent amount of time on the best contracts they possibly can. For it not to become a worry that you've got these big extensions coming for guys and then what have you got left to spend to fill out your roster? Because as we mentioned before, that's how you end up in a spot where trade one of your stars to get to a point where your overall roster is good enough to compete. Mm -hmm. So it's not that far on the horizon and just doesn't feel like it's registering with any books fans or anyone watching the books closely and um, we will do our best to keep shouting about it and scare you all into believing it but i'd hope that the books themselves the front office are viewing things with that sort of foresight we'll see time for the mailbag First question from Ask Shackby Snackin. Did you see the video of the Poodle workout? Jumpers, trees, and pull-ups. Not saying he's Gasol, but at least the shot isn't broken. I did see the video. Have you seen his workout video? I have not, unfortunately. Jordan is slacking off on It was a busy week. It's an impressive workout video. Again, as a fan of workout videos. I, I will say... It's I not a JLP, but is it, is it a Henson? Is it a... No, I will say the shots go in, and <laughs> they, go in in, they go in in quite a large volume in the video. I'd be lying if I said I was very convinced by his shooting stroke. Um, It's quite slow. It's quite long. I just, I'm not quite sure how well it's going to translate to the NBA. But yeah, 
in an empty gym, he can make them, which is a start. If he couldn't make them in an empty gym, well, then it's going nowhere. So there is enough to get irrationally hopeful about. Maybe with time, he could be capable of that Pau Gasol-esque shooting that he seems to crave. It's good to see they're going in, seems he's been putting the work in. I guess with his size, it's going to be hard to block them anyway. So if you're ever going to get away with a slightly show, slower shooting stroke, it's if you're like 7-2 and by the time someone gets to close out anyway, the ball is above their head. So we'll see. I'm not going to buy too much into it yet, but at least he is capable. I don't think you would have seen many videos of guys like Andre Drummond or DeAndre Jordan making three-pointers at workouts. So <laughs> he's not like that. He can he can knock shots down. So if not immediately, maybe sometime in the future, something he could add to his game. Without seeing the video, how would you describe his shooting? Was it kind of like Valanchunas-like? Because he has kind of a very slow... It's sort of longer. I feel... Oh. I've only seen it once, and now I'm trying to recall it from memory. But I feel like he starts a, a really sort of low point. He starts the shooting stroke quite low, so it's quite a long way for him to bring it all the way up to the point yeah. of release. Um, that's more than anything what makes it slow. I don't know it to me, and I'm far from a shot doctor, but it looks like it has such a long way to travel that there's a lot in terms of movement and everything that could go wrong that it might not be easy to have it as something that's repeatable and consistent. But look, he can't make it. it that's it's, the important thing. It doesn't, his form doesn't look bad at the point of release, it's just how it gets to there that might need a little work. Next one from a Shaq Snacking again. Did you hear the Dunked On podcast Milwaukee offseason preview? They talked a lot about what I was trying to say last week. 2017 free agency and the playoffs maybe after a full year point Yanis. Could the books make a better decision on the last guard spot then? Point guard versus wing. Maybe they get a serviceable guy to fill in for now. How do you feel about that? About them maybe adding some pieces this year, seeing how it goes, not over committing in terms of finding the next point guard, and then deciding whether it's another guard or a wing they need next year? Mm. I I don't know. I'm not too keen on that. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I, again, that you're bringing in – I obviously listened to it. And um, as we had talked about in the last, I don't know, how long we've been going. <laughs> but um, just try to navigate through – the extensions of Giannis and Jabari are going to be very fascinating to watch in itself. You try to add any more players through that, 
whether it's, you know, I guess a not a bit the biggest name, but a bigger name at point guard or big man, whatever, or just a serviceable guy. The cap is still going to be outrageously high, and their value, while they might not be the perfect player, they're, st- they're going to have to be paid very, you know, pretty penny to uh, <laughs> to bring in. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just feel like you have to. There's a lot of work that needs to be done this year, and then, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I think this is where you do a lot of the heavy lifting this year, then see what works, see what doesn't, and then, I don't know. I think this is the heavy lifting year. Yeah, I'm not in favor of that at all. I think in an ideal world, it could make sense, but this is far from an ideal world. Um. First of all, I would hope the books won't be in a position where they'll have a pick as good as the 10th overall pick in next year's draft. So if they're looking at a pick that would give them a better shot at drafting a point guard next year, well, then there's probably bigger problems. Even in terms of free agency, though, the cap is likely to go up again. It is going to go up again. So you're not going to make any savings by waiting another year. If anything, if this summer really takes off and you see mediocre guys get crazy prices, that will have set the new norm for next year. Yeah. And the presence may not play to your advantage at all. And I know this year's isn't the most sort of flashy or talent-stacked point guard pool, but particularly a year down the line where we then could be at the point where Yanis's extension is real and actually on the books if they if they extend them this summer. In that case, you're looking at a situation where you've less flexibility and you can't really worry about a star or a higher caliber point guard. Anyway. You just won't have the money to do that. So... I mean, this time 12 months, Yanis' contract could be a real thing, and Jabari could be getting extended on his early extension. And Michael Williams will be a restricted free agent. I, I, we've made fun of these two before, but GLB has to get paid. Damian Inglis has to get paid. Let's say the Bucks should do that, but I'm just saying you have to do another contract with them. Yeah, I mean, right now, none of those three guys factor in at all. Even oh, yeah. even MCW. Unless MCW has another terrible year and the books still like him, but he's been bad enough to the point where they can get him really cheap, well, I don't think it's an option. English and Johnny O'Brien, unless they find out what exactly it was that allowed the Monstars to steal other players' talent in Space Jam, they are not going to be on the books for very long. They'll be replaced by two second-round picks in the future because that's where their biggest value comes, as they're cheap. <laughs> they're yeah. cheap um, to hold down roster spots, particularly as the books are having more high-profile guys to pay now. So I don't agree about those guys, but the point stands as... If it's not those three guys, there's three other guys who'll be on the roster who need to be paid something. Yes. 
So it just gets so much more difficult a year from now. And I know it doesn't, people are ignoring a little bit. Um, and Ron coming out the books, hopefully. <laughs> if he's not, there's an even bigger problem. What if he, as I said before, what if this scenario comes about where he has a bad season or he's injured? Whatever it is, he feels like his value isn't going to be as high next summer as it could be if he gave himself another year to sort of prove himself. Yeah. Then you're really not in the spot you want to be in terms of salary. That's even a fascinating thing. When you talk about like the Dwight Howard rumors this summer and where people say the Bucks have the cap space to do that, well, what if they signed Dwight for, I actually think it was in the Dunk Down podcast, they said three years, 60 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no indication that Dwight would agree to that sort of contract, but three years, 60 million. So if they sign him for that, and then next summer they have Yanis making something in the region of 25 to 27 million. I think his, his max will fall somewhere in that range. You have Middleton on 15 million, Henson on about 10 million as his value starts to decline on that deal. And then Monroe comes back for another year at like 15 and a half or whatever it is he gets. I haven't even done that math in my head. We'll say you're looking at about 86 million between those five guys. And that's before you're, you're about to pay Jabari his max as well. If he was to be that good, even if it's not a max, you're about to pay Jabari. I mean, that's the sort of funny thing because this is a player option Monroe has. And of course, everyone opts out now. That's what they do. But if Monroe was to have another season like he had, if he was to start the year as a starter and then it wasn't to work again and it, he was sort of relegated to the bench for good, that's not going to help him heading towards a contract, which might be his last big contract. He might say, you know what, it's worth my while. Let, let's take this $15 million. Mm-hmm. I'll take another year of this fight to make my way into the team where I can prove that I'm worth $22 million on my next day. There's no guarantee he's gone after this year, which is why it's in the book's interest to make sure there's, there's one way you can guarantee he's gone, and that's to send him somewhere yourself. Um, the next question from our pencil 2292. If boat rope for trade... Who would you prefer for the books? Rudy Gobert or Nerlens Noel? Keeping in mind what we would need to give up. Um, I mean, as players, it's not even a contest. It's Rudy Gobert. What you'd need to give up, I don't know if the Jazz trade Rudy Gobert at all. No. I think he's... They probably view him in a similar way that the books view Giannis. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Or even... he, he is a different player, and obviously he needs maybe more complementary pieces to make the team take off, but with the right guys. I mean, he is in his own right this freakish prospect who's developed and hit the ground running faster than most people would have expected. He's a pretty special player. Mm-hmm. 
the tricky part about them is contracts. So again, this is with any young player, you're going to have their next big contract coming up. Very big contract. I don't know. It's hard to find a right answer on that one. I, I, I still, I think I'd prefer, if you could get Gobert for something that was reasonable, well, Gobert is probably... Yeah, I think Gobert is a player that I would consider giving up one of the big three for. Oh. Uh, I, 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 you're so against this. I understand that, but I mean... No, it's not. It's not. A, I mean, I am against it in general. But as much as I like Rudy Gobert defensively, uh, I'm not sure what he is offensively. I think you hope that he's like a Tyson Chandler type guy, but I don't think he really is that right now. I think he can be that quite comfortably. Maybe I'm higher on him, but I think he he has the physical tools that I'd like to think he should be able to figure out a really strong post offense because I just don't know why teams should be able to stop him in there. Mm. And if that happened, well, I I don't know what would separate him from like Pete Dwight Howard. Hmm. Well, and that, in that scenario, I think that player is worth more to the books than one of the other two. Probably Jabari. Mm. I think if you get that player, you'd 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 go and maybe get a good quality stretch four to pair alongside him. Stretch four who could play D. Jordan is making a lot of sort of grunting <laughs> sounds of acknowledgement. I don't know if any of you have picked up on all the mm. <laughs> um, he's right, very against he's very against the idea of trading any of them. These are he's not even comfortable talking about hypotheticals. But you know what I say to that deal? Or just the idea of it? Go bear and go home. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The next question. <laughs> this is one that was causing some kerfuffle on Twitter earlier. From at Shafty Bro. How many wins will next year's books have? I like to read about this because I'd seen some of the some of the stuff that was sort of floating around the round it and what I've learned in my time writing about the books involved in Booksland is books fans have so much self-loading that there's no right answer to this question. Yes. If you said the books are going to go 82 and 0, you would have so many people scream at you. They'd be, they'd be so mad. They'd be like, <laughs> no, they're not. They're terrible. What are you talking? They're, they'll be lucky if they make the playoffs. And then if you go, you know what? This is a this is a ten and seventy two team. It would just the, the script would be flipped. I think that's a discomfort with being good more than anything else. Yes, I th I think books fans <laughs> books fans have to wrestle that with like the normal 
fan culture where you you have optimism and you don't want to be bad so they have that that's part of being a sports fan but then they also have to balance that with being a books fan which means you've got all this pain basically there is no right answer to this question so people will be angry either way how many wins do you see the books having next year jordan Also, obviously, this is very hard to do before draft and free agency or whatever, but. I think this is a perfect time to make a shameless self-promotion. No. Um, I think we've had this question before, and I want to say my answer is 38. So I will stick with 38 that's the most books fan answer ever well you're talking about a, a true original books there's right? literally no optimism in that at all i just hey i just hate as who could next fan. season be more boring and bad 38 wins i can give you i can give you a long list of things of why it could be worse even though the win total would spike just a little i i think they'll be somewhere in 42 to 45 range. Oh, here we go. We're going back to preseason optimism. Well, this is basically books preseason started a long time ago because. Yeah, that's true. Uh, no, not really. I, I, that's around. That's around what I said with my last one as well. I don't see why they can't be around 500, maybe a game or two above. It has not reached last year's preseason optimism for me, where. I, although I was against Greg Monroe and the run-up to it, I accepted it when it happened. We were warm. I didn't, I didn't get carried away, but I accepted it, and I gradually warmed the idea, and then I was like, 50 wins. And that didn't happen. No. I think they'll be around 500 to... Anywhere up to four games better. That sort of range. We're going to see progress this year. If not, things will happen. We get to that in a bit, though. We've questioned them. Next one from Shafty Bro. Do you care if Yanis plays with the Greek national team? Yes. What way do you care about it, Jordan? What is your thinking? Um, oh yeah, I, I I just realized I should probably elaborate <laughs> more. Uh, this is a podcast of drill. Um, I do because I think he holds that near and dear to him, and it was fun. I mean, for a, I'm not a fellow Greek. I'm not a uh, yeah Greek person. I'm far from it. Um. But it was fun to see Giannis on an international level. And we saw, uh, was is he still in Greece now? Or, I mean, that was a couple of weeks ago. I, mean, I, think, I think he is. I've, I've a feeling, he, I thought I saw something that he was back in the States for a little while. I think he's already gone sort of back and forth. Mm. Um, but I think he is still in Greece at present. Um, anyway, I mean, we saw... 
you know, crowds show up to see him and Thanasis and what he means to that country is, you know, it's a pretty, it's of importance to both Greek uh, followers of basketball and Giannis. So I think in that sense, I do think it would be great for him to play, but there's also a little selfish, I guess, you know, kind of make sure you're getting better, developing, maybe even stay for his contract extension, whatever is going on. You kind of, I do see that side of things too and kind of wish he would maybe stay out of it. Um, yeah. But at, at the same time, this I, we talked about this a couple weeks ago too, but Greece has a very tough out. They have they have to pass through pretty big teams to get to the Olympics, and they're just they're in the qualifying stage. I want to I want to say Croatia, France, Italy, and Mexico. <sighs> Isn't Serbia? No, no, no. I mean, I, you could throw a Canada in there too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying they're favorites, but that's another competitor. Are they not going through a different qualification? Oh yeah, actually, I think you're right. I could be wrong on that, but I, I think they're in a different one. As far as I know, I think it's Croatia, Italy, France, and Mexico will be the other big teams through the route that Greece will be going. And for me, this is a no-brainer. He 100% should should be playing for his country this this summer. And um, the book's concerns shouldn't factor into it. Yeah, they pay his contract. He's got a big contract coming up. I understand the concerns for that. But Yanis isn't a guy who's had an injury history. And to him, and to be honest, I think to Europeans in general, representing your country is the biggest honor there is. And that, that sort of, that crosses sports. That's a that's a really big deal. I mean, that's what kids grow up dreaming of. Um, I think for the U.S. and such an incredibly patriotic country as the U.S., I think the only reason it's a little bit different in basketball is because they're so far ahead of the rest of the world in terms of sort of the wealth of talent at their disposal that, if, like we have happening at the moment, you have like 10, 15 guys just decide they're not going, they could still put out a team that's going to be the favorite to win the competition. Yeah. And that, that just doesn't happen for all the other countries. It's the idea that in that scenario, Giannis could lead Greece and go toe-to-toe with the US and maybe cause the upset. That's what drives those guys. I think it tells a lot that, Say like the Gasol brothers, they have not missed a lot of international competition throughout their career. And for the level they've played at in the NBA, that's pretty impressive. And then even, very notably, LeBron. For all the cases that can be made against it, it's always at this time of the year when he's in the finals and everything, you get these stats sort of thrown out there of how long LeBron's seasons have been since forever. But LeBron has always been super eager to try and play for his national team. I want to say the only time I could think of him not doing it was the last World Championships. I believe so. That's... That was the same summer that he went to Cleveland. Went yeah. To Cleveland. yeah. I mean, it hasn't done him any harm. Yeah. 
I just think for for Yanis, it's such a it's such a big thing. It really is. I can't. I don't feel like that gets across in a lot of the times when I see tweets and people are just like, no, no, he's the Bucks player. Um, where there's something maybe a little bit more tribal just about international sports in Europe and it's not something that I'd lightly just deny him because the books want him to work on being a point guard more this summer, which is like the sort of thing that's been out there. They want him to work on his new role. He was doing pretty pretty well on that towards the end of last year. He'll work on that all through training camp. And as you mentioned, Greece has such a tough route through anyway, they might not even qualify. So there's a good chance that Yanis international play could be over early July. Mm-hmm. And what's the big deal? For me, it's a no-brainer. Let him play. Hashtag, this is why we play. Or hashtag, let him play. That will work. Uh, I mean, I, I feel no one would ever find it if you hashtag with that other one. That's a pretty... <laughs> yeah. Pretty big hashtag. I've seen that some places before. Hashtag big hashtag. Oh, God. Sorry. Jordan's calling out all the hashtag shots this week. The next one from at Metastic. More likely, Kevin Durant comes to the books this offseason or the Cavs win the finals. This is an easy one for me. It's Cavs win the finals. Neither. You can't give that answer. More likely <laughs> is the question. Neither is not an appropriate answer to which is more likely. Cavs win the finals. If they hold home court, it goes to 2-2. Nothing in the first two games indicates that they'll do that, but that's what everyone said about the Raptors against the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that went back 2-2 into Game 5. So... I mean, I think the Cavs... I have a feeling the Cavs get Game 3. I don't think they get both Game 3 and Game 4, but if they get Game 3, things get interesting. Hashtag KD to MKE. I don't have a lot to say to that. I mean, what's more likely... Me winning the lottery or Kevin Durant coming to Milwaukee. It's probably me winning the lottery. So just wake up from all those pipe dreams, people. <laughs> from at Alex underscore Koenig 023. If the books take Poodle at 10 and Onowaku is available at 36, do you take him for value and depth or do you look elsewhere? Elsewhere. I'd give a lot of thought to taking him and getting rid of Plumlee, but I'm not so sure having two rookie centers in your rotation is a good idea. So that gets tricky. And only because even if they got rid of Monroe, as we know, they don't trust Henson at all. So (laughs) I don't know what way that would even play out. They probably look elsewhere. There's maybe a case for it, depending on who else is there. If you got someone 
don't know, if you got someone really nice at the other pick, whether it was 36 or 38, and maybe he's, he's there on one or the other, you go, okay, maybe it's worth the risk, but I don't see it being something the books would do to draft a center at 10 and 36 or 38. Next one from uh, Alex underscore Kane two two three again. Is there a scenario where the books move Monroe for a pick and keep their pick as well? Yeah, I'm sure the Jazz would do pick sixty for Greg Monroe straight up. <laughs> do they have their sixtieth pick? Really? They, they do have the sixtieth pick. Yeah. How did they get that? I don't know. I don't ask. Oh, questions. from Golden State. Oh, um, uh, from the Holy Godal. Yeah. Andres Bezerens. Um. That salary dump. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think. <laughs> I think the Jazz would trade the sixtieth pick from Greg Pedro. Um, mean, it's it's possible if you're trading down. It's the only way it's possible. Yeah. Personally, I'm all for that. Give me a mid-first round pick and let's clean slate and let's get out of here. But I know how all you people feel about that. The next one from at Alex underscore Koenig 023. Who has a better future with the books? Tyler Ennis or MCW? He then has a role question mark. I don't know why I have to ask Jordan Tresky this question because he's only going to give one answer here. Ah. It's Tyler Ennis. Yeah, he's right, though. It is Tyler Ennis. Yeah. There's, there's not much of a debate. There's definitely. more. I mean. MCW, maybe he can be the sixth man that some people like to think he can be. Question is, and I, again, we saw a lot of this in uh, Buck's t- Twitter land. Um, is he willing to accept that role? I don't think so. So I think that kind of already gives Ennis a, a big advantage. Um, and again, I'm an irrational fan of him, but I just think he can work as a third guard. A Corey Joseph type. I will pound that into the ground. I, I see it happening with him. Uh, Jordan makes a good point. MCW is super sensitive. Yes. And I don't know if that's going to bode well for how his next year is going to play it with the books. And I don't think that – I, I want to add, too, I don't think that's a problem. The guys – Young in his career, sure. Yeah, if he if he wasn't if he wasn't like that, it would be maybe a bigger concern. Yeah, it doesn't justify him getting a bigger role just because he's upset. But Mm -hmm. we can call it a weak draft class all we want, but he was a rookie of the year only a couple of years ago. So yeah, of course he's not going to want to come off the bench. Yeah. Last question. From at OC Big Nose 12. 
if this season comes in as unsuccessful as last, if not more, do we need to rethink the core? I believe so, he says. My honest answer on that is no. But I would be firing the coach. That's what I'd be doing. And that gets very, very dicey when they give him the new extension this summer. But that that would be my big question. I I do find it funny because we see so much about that. Jordan alludes to it earlier, but there is a lot of talk about, well, what if the Bucks' core isn't what we think it is? And what if there is another bad season? If they have a 38-win season, like Jordan, the Bucks fan, Tresky seems to believe. Um, I, I don't. I pin that on the coach. You pin that on the front office. I mean, unless everything falls into place and you feel wow this roster is so good everything's perfect they look like a perfect fit and the players don't look like they're giving efforts or whatever that's when you question things otherwise i mean you've got to look at some of the other people involved and that just doesn't happen i i I don't understand why but generally with jason kidd and with the books i just don't see that conversation ever this was a this was a flashpoint I created earlier in the season when I brought this up when things were going maybe even worse or where he wasn't experimenting with anything. But still, that's down the road. If things are not clicking like that, that's a that's a conversation that would need to be had. I mean, you don't just give up on three players who at least individually are really, really talented and even as a group have looked good. You don't just give up on them without going, well, what if we don't have the right guy to call and plays for them? Or what if they're not getting the right coaching? I mean, that's something obvious. So most teams do first. It's like blame the coach. But it doesn't seem to happen with the books. That would be my question. Obviously, you'd have to see how the season plays out. It depends who plays how. I mean, if... Say if Jabari, his defense was so bad that there was really no redeeming it with his offense. Of course, that makes you think about, well, what is he as a long-term player? If Giannis wasn't actually able to handle the ball, became a turnover machine, couldn't shoot, well, then you go, okay, were we premature on that? But I don't foresee any of those things becoming an issue, so... If things were to go like last season or worse, I'd be pointing fingers elsewhere, I think. Um, I make this to preface this is maybe a long answer, so buckle up. Um, I have a big problem with this kind of question, and I'm not, this is not me. This sounds like I'm pointing fingers at this question, but it is a valid. I'm not saying it's not a valid question, but I feel like after a 41 win season, we kind of think, and rightfully so, we kind of think that we're on a faster track than we are, but we're not. And even though I've heard the ownership talk about we want to become a championship caliber team, and 
obviously you want to, that's great to hear, but I don't think that's what we should be talking about right now at all. I think you should just try to be getting better and it, hopefully it ends with you holding the chair or the, you know, finals trophy, Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the season. But to rethink or re try to reshuffle the big three after two full seasons, depending on how next year goes, if it's, you know, unsuccessful, I think that's really fast. And that's kind of the same thinking that kind of ruined the Bucks for a long time. At the end of the day, we're talking about 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds. Some teams, the Warriors, as much as we talk about, like, teams trying to replicate their formula, what's really, you know, kind of vaulted them, besides, you know, the arrival of Steve Kerr, is that they got the, the right veterans around their core pieces. And if you have the right veterans around your core pieces, experienced players, that could be enough to just set you from, you know, a really good regular season team, but they couldn't figure it out in the playoffs to possibly contending for a title. Um, I just, I think that's kind of, again, I think that that kind of falls on the on kid or the or the questions of the coach. And as we saw this past year, yes, the big three, the development of them was the big takeaway for the Bucks this season, no doubt. But literally, I mean, you can make a case for some other of the role players, maybe honestly we actually saw something from him, whether it's minimal or not. There wasn't a lot of great development outside of the big three other than Plumley or, I guess, Bayless that really, you know, made us feel better at the end of the season that, we feel like the Bucks are heading that direct direction with the supporting cast. So I, I don't know. I just things take time, and I think that that gets lost, especially when we are talking about the Bucks. You know, day, days on days on days. At the end of the day, it's still one season that might you have a longer process to go through. So I don't know. I just I think it's we're far from. I think we're far from asking whether this big three is a viable big three or not, or the core or whatever you, whatever you will. And I mean, um, the, the big thing, Jordan, is what's the alternative? There's no, there's no alternative. Yeah. So it's like a year from now, what well, this doesn't work. So, okay, blow it up, start again. Or you're trading for guys. Oh, well, this guy is proven. And that's how you end up in like a Monte Ellis, Brandon Jennings backcourt. It's yes. like, just sit it out. If it, if this doesn't work out, well, the team is as mediocre as it's been for the last, by the time that plays out, 20 years. So, look, you've, not, you've lost no ground. You've given yourself every chance. And you make the point with the Warriors. Like, I mean, Steph Curry wasn't an all-star until his fifth season. Yeah. And... I mean, the anomaly. It was of, his. It was his sixth of, season, even really, when like that's when they won the title, and that's when he really took off. I yeah. mean, I think statistically, his his fifth season was actually a little bit better, but there was no, there wasn't that level of talk about him when he was part of Mark Jackson's Warriors. Yeah, and I think the even, anomaly, or sorry, but to go with that point, I think the anomaly of all. Of, and this is why, when we, even when we talk about the draft, we talk about best fit, best player, all this stuff. Some guys just fall, and you see a guy that falls like Jim and Green, 
and he looks like a normal, you know, role player. All of a sudden, if you know, a guy like Kirk comes in or whatever, or sees something and they experiment with him, comes in and he's one of the best players in the league. You know what I mean? It just some things are just random. And it's so, funny because I've I've put some thought into that part specifically because in that that draft, that second round, the Warriors picked up I want to say Fessa Sazidi at 30 and Draymond Green at 34. Yeah. Or 35. Yeah, 30. Either one of those. But if that's like where we talk about the books having 36 and 38. Yeah. And it's like, what do they do with them? Well, that shows, okay, of course, you've got to hit the home run, but that could give you the potential to add a Draymond Green to Fessa Sazidi. Yeah. As like... There is so much still to play out. It's really there's. There, I just if there was an option. I mean, of course, if a year from now, if another terrible year, and they can trade one of the big three or two of the big three and get like players who are established stars now and they're still in their prime, they're not about to decline. Whatever, that's fine. But that's not that's not an option because if the books are still bad, those players aren't gaining more value. Your only option is breaking it up and you're going back to something which is going to be worse again, at least in the short term. And probably longer term is mediocre at best because you don't have those high upside guys that you're able to invest the time in. So there's no real win. (laughs) I mean, if, if this team isn't what people hope it is or what they thought it is, that will be what it is. But you've got to give it five six seven years i mean you've got to give it till the end of the second contract for the likes of Yanis and jabari and that's then where you're going well we haven't really done what we need to do we really want to go down this road for another contract are we going to spend 15 years not being a contender but the books are so far off from having to worry about that and the other part just to relate back to what I said earlier even and it's such a great example of how quickly things can turn the Warriors look they had pretty much everyone in place that they won the title with the year before when Mark Jackson was the coach they looked like a good okay solid playoff team all of a sudden they made a coaching change and it's just one of those things where it just happens as you said it's like finding a dream on green in the second round or whatever it is but it just happens. And Steve Kerr is the perfect coach for the system that suits that group of players better than anyone could have hoped for and everything clicks. And that's all it takes. But no one would have said watching that Mark Jackson team that they were on the verge of two historical seasons. No. They weren't going to be one of the all-time great teams just like that, just overnight. And the roster stayed the same, basically. They were rarely, they were even rarely talked about even being a championship candidate last year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like people were talking about the Cavaliers before Kevin Durant. I heard people were talking about the Thunder. Of course, Spurs usually are in that conversation. Warriors might have been a dark horse candidate, but it was kind of like, oh, <laughs> you place a bet down and they have the the greater odds. Oh yeah, I could do that. You know, whatever, something like that. But it, I don't think anybody really saw that team all of a sudden just clicking and 
make it to the championship and throw it, you know, getting passed pretty easily, uh, you know, by the Cavs last year. So I don't know. It's just the whole what is the expiration date and even just kind of this year is a big year, but I don't think it's whether this is a viable big three or not. I think it's just, again, it, it's important to see development from them, but it's, can we find the right supporting cast of players that gets the, them even better? Yeah. Any, I, you know, I agree. And that's what we've said from a long way out about this summer now. And that's what makes next year, I think is a bigger year for the other 12 guys in the roster. Yes. Because if you can enter next summer, when Giannis' new contract is about to start, where you might be extending Jabari, and all of a sudden, instead of having three guys, you can say, we have eight guys. That's where you're, you're now a team who can think about making some noise. That's the bigger thing for me. I feel like we've, we've seen a taste of already. I mean, if you put Giannis, Middleton, and Jabari together in spells of what their peak production was this year and they had an, a really good supporting cast with them, that team would that team would go very far I honestly I don't know if those three guys like in their best games with good role players the type of guys we've talked about we've sort of cried out for them to surround them with in terms of like the defensive pass first doesn't need the ball, sharp shooting point guard. The defensive, strong rebounder, good rim runner at center. And then depth at all five positions on the bench. I mean, if you could do that and you have those three guys playing as well as they can, at the moment, I think that team doesn't get stopped by anyone other than the Cavaliers. In the East, that's the only team that would stop them from advancing. So how far away is it really? It's figuring out and trying to get the rest of the group in place. And when you've done that, hopefully those two, three guys will keep improving. They might make really big strides. All of a sudden, everything takes a really sort of sharp upturn. But you do, you just got to give it the patience. And I mean, if it doesn't work out, the guys that bring in this summer don't work out. Whatever, you just, they've got to take their time and they've got to go with it because as, as much as it gets harder moving forward because of the cap and everything else we've talked about, you, you're sort of, you have less flexibility to make flippant decisions as well. Yeah. You can't just pull it apart and move on and hope to have something. And I think a big part in this as well is, whether it ultimately works out and they have a bit, much better chance now because luck has finally fallen on their side. But the years of struggle the Sixers got from sort of tearing apart, remember? They tore apart a team that had recently gone and pulled off a big first-round upset in the playoffs. And they were a good team, a group that was never really looking like a championship team, but they tore it apart and they went, okay, let's go. Let's go in big on trying to win in the draft, get the best players, build up. Look at how that's gone so far. So that hurts the idea of, well, this isn't quite going as you like it. Let's just blow it up. Just It doesn't work like that. 
and particularly with this ownership group i don't think that's the way they would like to see things go they're competitive they want to be competitive and if that's on a scale where competitive and the, as competitive as the group can be is 20 wins well then that's what they'll do they i don't think they'd be inclined to go well if we're only going to win 20 games let's take these three players dump them for nothing and let's get 10 wins yeah. i mean that that doesn't scream like this ownership group to me no so patience so it's important we just see what happens that is it for this week i'm very proud to say i think that is our our shortest podcast in quite a while i think we deserve it jordan we deserve a little bit me especially i think i, I think i deserve some extra sleep i can look out it's, it's not bright yet i mean that's always a positive when i <laughs> podcast it's not bright so yeah We'll be back next week. This week we talk trading up. Next week we talk trading down. And I think there's a bit of fun to be had there. There'll be some stuff that might just catch catch our eyes. That's it for now, though. Thanks very much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher. While you're at it, Make sure to give our podcast reviews. This is a thing people do, I believe. So leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Give us a review. Say how much you love Jordan's Gus Johnson impressions. All of our hashtags. Things of that ilk. Actually, I'm going I'm to have to backtrack here. Because I just, for, I just remembered I forgot something. We had one other mailbag contribution. And it came from Alex Koenig. Alex Koenig asked, will you endorse this? Adding a qualifier for those of age, of course. Alex sent me a screenshot of a Win and Six podcast drinking game. He's obviously been working on. Maybe one for some of you for next week. It might help you get through our inevitably longer podcasts. I'm going to quickly read through the rules and then we'll be on our way. Take two shots if Ty Windish is on. Not going to be drinking very often, people. Not, not going to be drinking very often. Take two shots if there is a different third guest. Ooh. It's been a while, but who knows what we've got in store. Take five shots if Jordan or Adam misses the podcast. I mean, that's like... That's like spotting a unicorn in the wild. Yeah. I think we've only missed one each. That's it. It doesn't, doesn't happen. Yeah. That's, a, that's a pretty pretty good attendance record we've got. I mean... 58 out of 59 is not too shabby. Drink anytime someone references the cap. I mean, 
I don't know if that I don't know if that is safe. Um, drink anytime Adam makes it blatantly obvious he isn't from America, not the accent. That's too easy. You'll have a couple on this podcast. Drink anytime Adam expresses he is actually a Hawks fan slash anything Zaza. That's a few. It's game over right there. Drink anytime Jordan doesn't know something is unsure. I mean, yeah. come on. Finish your drink if Jordan tells the basketball reference nickname of a player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if, you wanted, if you wanted to get really drunk, we've got five podcasts where you could just go back into our archives, our last five or five of our last six, and um, where we looked at different fits, different positions, where I'd say about 50% of the podcast was us laughing at basketball reference nicknames. YMCA. Andrew Nicholson? Correct. There we go. That's a drink. I, I, had, to, <laughs> I had to think about <laughs> it. But drink anytime time makes a hip-hop reference. Oh. I mean, you already have had two shots from just being here in the first place. So, and then drink anytime Ty talks about Johnny O'Brien to third. There was one other that Alex said he forgot to send our way, and that was take a shot before the podcast starts if it's over three hours. That is not the case in this occasion. Thankfully. Thankfully. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan, for being here. Thanks to all of you for listening. Check us out on site and all that good stuff. We will be back next week. Thank you.